We are. We are. We are. We are. We are. We are. Lo-fi poli-sci. Yes, we are. Lo-fi poli-sci coming at you. Michael Pickering here with a very special, very amazing guest today. Joining us, we have Leila Bella Walto, who is internationally steeped, an avid feminist, and a justice and equality advocate with a BA in cultural and environmental studies with concentrations in political science, sociology, and anthropology, as well as having begun that amazing journey of graduate studies in the same field. Leila Bella, how are we doing today? We're doing pretty well. It's a beautiful fall Friday in New Orleans, so you can't get too much better than that. Especially since technically it's still summertime, but it, yeah. this weather, yeah, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. You know, it, it's funny, side note, a lot of people when they come on the show, they always, we always start talking about the weather first. It's crazy. It's just one of those things. But Leila Bella, thank you so much for coming on. And, and real quick, why don't you hurry up and, and tell everyone listening, what are we actually talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about the treatment of widows and people who have lost their spouses across the world because there are a lot of different cultural practices and traditions that are different from our Western practices and traditions that I find really fascinating. And I think not enough people know about this kind of humanitarian crisis that is happening around the world. So I wanna kind of bring some awareness to that. Oh, I love this. I love this. It's this is such an incredible topic. And, you know, I am one of those people who I don't know a whole lot about what widows go through um, once they become widows and, and how it's different between different cultures and places. So I'm extremely excited. This is this is your episode. So lead us away. Where uh, where are we going to start first? Where yeah. So I think I'm going to start kind of talking about our Western practices. So when I think of the word widow, to kind of bring it down to a more personal level, I think about my grandmother and I think about when she became a widow. I was maybe nine, nine or 10 years old. So it's a little fuzzy, but um, I just remember all of the food and all of the visitors that came to her house and her, her front porch. It was the middle of February in upstate New York. So it was very cold. And so her whole porch was just full of casseroles and pies and people just bringing offerings basically to help her through this process of losing your spouse. Um, I will never think of Dunkin' Donuts the same way. I can't eat a donut from Dunkin' without thinking about that experience. Wow, so really? it kind of is huh? a very, something that stuck with me um, is watching that process kind of happen. Um, and that's very, customary in our Western world. So a lot of the practices that we have done when someone, when specifically a woman loses her husband are very closely tied to the Bible. So the U.S. is a predominantly, well, maybe not so much anymore, but a very Christian Catholic society. Um, and so the, the Bible has different guidelines and different passages that refer directly to widows and to quote one of them it's from Deuteronomy um, so it's the people of God must extend to her referring to the widow the same merciful protection that they bestow to orphans 
and defenseless aliens. So there's that idea of this is someone that needs help. This is someone that needs support and we must as a community give her that support. Um, so there's very little shame in it. There's very little judgment. Um, it's, it's more of a, a sympathy and an empathy that is extended to this woman in, in our Western practices. That's interesting. I never thought about it as, as so much of coming directly from the Bible, but whenever you put it in context like that, it does make sense that, that there's a sense of community to come and support the individual who has just gone through that loss. Um, that's interesting, you know, to think about it in, in that specific way. Um, do you see this, and maybe this will help segue to somewhere else in the world, but yeah. do you see that practice replicated everywhere we go? So definitely not. Um, I would think in, in some more European countries, in, in Western Europe, it's probably very similar, but um, I found this really interesting article a few months ago. Uh, it was written in 2017. It was in the National Geographic. It's called Widow's Life After Loss, written by Cynthia Gorney and Amy Tonson did the photography for it. Um, and they went to three different countries to kind of study this phenomena of cultural treatment of widows. So they went to India, they went to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and they went to Uganda. So I'm gonna start by talking about India. It's the first country they went to. I would highly recommend if people are out there listening, um, I'll share the, the link to that National Geographic story because the photos are just very, very breathtaking and beautiful. Um, so they went to the city in India, it's called uh, Vrindavan in 2015, and it is known as the city of widows. So in India, it is customary for when a woman loses her husband, um, the family kind of pushes her out of the household, pushes her out of that community, um, and she is no longer welcome, basically, in her own home. Uh, her children are technically no longer her children. They belong to the family that she married into. Um, and so these widows don't have very many places to go. And so they have kind of migrated in a way to the city, um, which has about 5,000 to 10,000 widows living within this one city in India. So you can find them singing in temples and praying and leading different uh, like Hindu ceremonies to have shelter in religious temples and different places in the city that kind of provide them food and a place to sleep, even though it might be a room with 50 mattresses on the floor. Um, so they, they sing these songs and try to earn their keep um, to be able to continue a life of some sort, even after their families have kind of pushed them away. Um, they are customarily forced to wear all white. So they, they dress in white saris and they uh, shear their hair off, which is a very interesting practice. Um, the, so Cynthia interviewed this woman who, who told her that I keep it this way because my hair was his. So she sees her hair as she had this hair for her husband and now that her husband is no longer here, that hair is gone. Um, 
And this woman, her name is Adhikar. Uh, she was 17 when her husband died. And when she was interviewed by Cynthia, she was 94. So this is something that people just keep doing over time is this practice of wearing white and of, of shaving your hair off after your spouse has died. There are definitely some, some younger widows and some people who are pushing back against this. Um, so that's something that, that Cynthia also kind of focuses in this article is the, the changes in these cultural practices. So people are no longer shearing all of their hair off. They're letting it grow. They're letting it continue to be part of who they are. Um, and slowly there are nonprofits and communities popping up that are trying to kind of give a new life to these women, um, not only that live in Vrindavan, but in places across India. So um, the Lumba Foundation and Sulab International are two of the biggest organizations in India. Um, and their, their mission is to bring life back to the, the widows. And customarily, they have been discouraged from participating in uh, like cultural celebrations and religious celebrations. But in recent years, in 2015, the Lumba Foundation and Sulab International have started hosting many little festivals for these widows. So during Holi or during Diwali, they are saying, hey, like we have a space for you to come and celebrate these holidays free of stigma, free of judgment from other people. And we're going to provide you with colorful saris and paints and candles and fireworks so we can start to celebrate these holidays again that are important to just the fabric of who you are as a person. So providing that community celebration space for these widows to kind of rediscover a life after they've been cast away by so many other people. So it's definitely a slow, a slow change, but there are people who are trying to kind of alter the way that, that these widows are looked at and say, hey, they're still people, they still have potential and lives and they still deserve food and shelter and the chance to celebrate and to participate in cultural activities and community, even, even though their kind of role as a, a wife or a mother is no longer part of their life. I have a couple of questions here to mm -hmm. think about. Like, so one, this, this city that you're talking about with five to 10,000 widows living there, is this a city of widows, <clears throat> excuse me, or is this a city that just has a large number of widows in it? It's just a city that has a large number of widows. For some reason, I okay. think the, there are a lot of temples, like religious uh, buildings there that have said like, hey, you can come and sing these hymns or not hymns, but um, these prayers and we will in return give you shelter. Um, and so I think it's just a place that people know this is a safe place for me to go, there are other people like me here, um, and I will be able to find shelter and food and a way to continue living. But that's an that's incredible. Five to ten thousand widows. I mean, yeah. that's that's really. I mean, I have a hard time thinking of another word besides incredible to think yeah. about the number of of people that are grouped together in that situation. Right. Yeah, and let me ask, like so these widows and i don't know anything about um, hindu culture or religious beliefs but 
are widows not allowed to marry again, or are these women choosing not to marry again? Like, what's the what's the cultural and religious practice right. behind that? So I think um, customarily they are not supposed to marry again. Okay. Um, but there is actually a uh, a quote from the uh, I think it's the Renda is the um, the religious text that is the Hindu kind of guidebook. Uh, so to speak. And in that text, it does say, like, why are you crying over this man that is no more? Pick pick yourself up and go on to find another. Um, so it's it's religiously not prohibited for them to remarry, but it is such a strong cultural practice that it kind of overrides that religious practice, which is interesting because you think that they would be so intertwined. And in some ways they are. Right, uh, right. And in some ways they are not. It's just it's like you you can if you want to, but you're going to get an immense amount of probably shaming and ridicule if you do choose to remarry, which is really interesting. It is, because normally you're right. You do think of culture and religion as being so intertwined. Right. Um, or or that religion influences culture so much. Yeah. It's 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 rare to think about, especially in India, where the past several years we've seen a resurgence of Hindu nationalism, of of, mm-hmm. of religious politics, where religion influences all aspects of life so much. But here right. we're seeing a cultural practice that is perhaps overtaking as a dominant role in you know versus a religious belief Um, yeah that is interesting for sure for sure and what is our next place we are going to right so now we're going to kind of hop over um, a little bit more towards the west and look at uh, bosnia and herzegovina that experienced a very intense civil war um, in the 90s. So it's not a war that everyone learns about. Um, the Cranberries have a song about it, but it's on one of their least popular albums. So I'm just a Cranberries fan. And so I've I too am a Cranberries yeah, been hearing fan. About yes. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, my sister hates that album. So I would play it to annoy her. Um, yeah. So they had this civil war in 19 or not quite a civil war, it's just the Bosnian War um, in 1992 until 1995. So this was a war between um, Bosnian and Herzegovinian people uh, versus proto-state that were backed by uh, Serbia and backed by Croatia. So kind of a, a land dispute and also an ethnic dispute that kind of fueled this, this three year long war. Um, And the reason why this war is important to this conversation is in 1995, within one week, Serbian forces methodically slaughtered about 7,000 Bosnian Muslim men in this one town um, of Skrebrenica. Pronunciation is a little hard. But um, so in this one town, 7,000 men were killed within one week. And these men knew that this was coming. They, they had a feeling that um, these Serbian armed forces were there to attack them. Um, and so many of them tried to escape and they would make plans with their wives, their mothers, their sisters, um, saying, meet me at this gymnasium at the edge of this town um, and I will, I will meet you there if I escape. And so for days uh, after this one week in 1995, all these women were 
to picking up their belongings and making this trek to this gymnasium to sit and wait for their men to come in so they could move and start a new life somewhere. Um, but the majority of those men never showed up. They were killed, buried in mass graves, kind of scattered among the, the beautiful country side of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, and so this obviously left behind a mass amount of widows and mothers who lost sons and sisters who lost brothers. Um, and so in the early 2000s and since, uh, there's been a huge movement for these women to find the remains of their loved ones so they can properly bury them and give them a, a send off. So many of these widows, they relocated to this town called Tuzla. Um, and there's an office there that has photographs and letters and all these different documents of these men that were killed in this, um, I mean, really it was a genocide. Um, and so they're, they're getting forensic specialists and DNA specialists and scientists to help them locate the remains of these men. And that can be anything from a few bones to a whole body. Um, and sometimes it takes years to find enough of these, enough parts of these men for their, their loved ones to want to bury them, right? Because you don't want to bury just a femur bone, right? You want right, to have right. something more substantial to kind of lay this person that you loved to rest. Um, and so that's just an interesting kind of example of, of resiliency and strength and shared grief that has kind of bound these women together. They live together in, um, in homes and in just different like apartment buildings to kind of support each other and to support these efforts to find the remains of, of the men that they all lost in the same week, in the same conflict. Um, no, this, this is an incredible part of the story because I feel a lot of, a lot of people are aware of the, the Bosnian genocide that you're talking about. Right. But less do they think about, and less do people talk about that as a byproduct of 7,000 Bosnian Muslim men being killed, but you're, you're looking at the immediate creation of, of maybe up to 7,000 widows in one week. Like, yeah. like with India, you were talking about five to 10,000 widows living in this one community, but those widows were, you know, probably over years and years and years of, of losing husbands and a few at a time or one by one, they migrate to that, that city. But here, thousands of women become widows all within the span of a week. And I could not imagine the kind of real life impact that would have on a community. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, like I said, I have never even considered the fact that from the, the Bosnian genocide that so many thousands of women automatically became widows. Yeah. Um, is there, has there been any other further update about how these women are moving as a community? Um, you know, how they're proceeding moving forward? Right. Not so much. A lot of them now are kind of a little bit older um, and they, their children are older um, and they're just kind of still working on finding 
the remains of, of these men. Um, this article, like I said, it was published in 2017. So there's been a few years um, in between, but I'm sure COVID and a multitude of other conflicts and things has kind of sure, sure. slowed down the process of, of finding um, these men. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy to think about how many, how many people they're looking for, you know, like they're just pages of photographs and pictures of, of people they're still searching for. Um, so. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, that's an amazing story. And like I said, an amazing, an amazing side of a piece of history that doesn't necessarily get talked about all that much. Right. right. Yeah. And again, we have the, the kind of religious connection too, where they, these men were targeted because they were Muslim, because they had a different ethnicity and a different religious practice than the Serbian forces that decided that they they needed to to cleanse these people out. They needed to get rid of them for whatever reason. So yeah, it's very interesting that we have that kind of religion has caused this this crisis and this heartbreaking phenomenon that's happening now. Oh, religion and wars. Oh, yes. All of all of human Married history. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe one it. day we'll do an episode on religion and wars, and oh, that'll probably that be a long one. That'll have to be a series. That'll have yeah. to be like a month long. Right, month right. Long. Like every week we cover a different different conflict. But where are we going next? What's our next country that we're talking about? All right. So the next place that we're we're kind of gonna go to is Uganda. Um. So country in Africa. Uh, very clan-based, very um, lots of different groups of, of people that reside in this in this one country. Um, but all of these clans and these groups do share the treatment of widows as something that kind of is a very Ugandan practice. Um, so Uganda did rewrite their their constitution, and that does promote gender equality and kind of changes the way that the country is trying to look at these issues. Um, so there is a law that says that if if a, um, a man passes away, her or his, pardon me, his spouse um, is entitled to the land and the financial resources, the property to follow the, the man's will is in the law but that law is not put into practice in many places. So once a man passes away, it is customary for uh, the woman to lose ownership of her house, her crops, all of her financial resources. Her children are taken in by the husband's clan or family. Um, and then often she is told, you will be marrying your husband's brother, or you will be marrying this uncle or this other member of the clan to be a second, third wife to this other man. So this is just a very, uh, I don't even, I don't know the word for it. It's just such a, a mind blowing thing that just like all of a sudden your entire life is just broken up and given away to all these different people that, you know, you married this one man and now all of a sudden all of what you have built with him is no longer yours, um, including your children. So there's been a lot of pushback against this in more recent years. So since like the, 2000, the 2010s, like mid 2010s, 
people have been taking this to court and saying, this is wrong. I deserve to keep my house and my land so I can continue to earn a living and continue my life. So there is this nonprofit, it's called the International Justice Mission. It's based out of the US and they work in a lot of different countries with different justice issues, but they have been very much focusing on Uganda and providing uh, defense and representation for widows in smaller courts to kind of bring attention to this and change people's minds and make them think this is not okay for us to just kind of pick apart this woman's life and have it become something else overnight, basically. This is bringing some pushback as well because people are skeptical. They are not sure that they're ready to give up these cultural practices. And so if a woman decides to take this to court, um, there have been stories of people burning crops and burning houses, forceful evictions, of coming in forcibly and removing people from their homes to make them go live somewhere else. So there's not just the issue of, of the, the cultural practice, but it's the ramification of trying to kind of fight against that cultural practice. It's you're putting yourself in a, a position of danger either way. So that's a very kind of harrowing thing to think about. And it's like, you have this cultural practice and then if you try to fight against it, you might be putting your family in more danger than if you just kind of went along with what the, the clan or the family of your husband um, was telling you to do. This is terrifying. Yeah, it is. It really is. And there are also some some men that have become more aware of how unfair and unjust this is. And there are stories of people leaving documents, leaving wills, saying that once I pass away, my house and my crops and all of this is still going to go to my wife. And that is my wish. That is my will. But those aren't always listened to, um, even if it's it's in words. There's a story of uh, this woman, her name is uh, Tumashtabit, and she lost her husband while she was pregnant um, with her sixth child, and he had written this type of statement saying that everything will be hers after I pass away. And his clan thought that she had bewitched him, that she had performed some type of magic on him to make him believe that she was the rightful owner of all of these things that or his and not hers. Um, so there's that too, there's like this belief of the woman being this conniving and manipulative force that uh, will take advantage of a man once he passes away. Um, so there's that extra kind of layer of very deep cultural view of the woman in many uh, societies in Uganda. Yeah, but there there is the international justice system and then there are other uh, organizations and other attorneys and lawyers that are trying to come in and help people fight for their rights but it is just such a an arduous process sometimes because you're trying to fight the law and enforce the law when everyone around you believes that that law should not really exist so right it's it's the difference of of facing du jour versus de facto discrimination right you know like mm -hmm. du jour mm -hmm. discrimination it's it's when it's an actual law which right. you can change by changing the law but right. 
de facto discrimination is cultural practices. And, you know, even in this country, in so many kinds of different ways, discrimination still exists because it's oh, yeah. a cultural practice. Right. And that takes sometimes, sadly, generations to change culture, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's incredible. That's, that's, I mean, especially when you think of all three countries together, you know, they do share some similarities, but at the same time, they, they share some pretty stark differences as far as how widows and women are treated. Yeah, um, and this has kind of been brought to the attention of the international community as well. So one of the, the organizations from India, the Lumba Foundation, they kind of petitioned and worked with the UN to declare an International Women's Day or International Widows Day, pardon. Um, so that is June 23rd of every year uh, is recognized by the United Nations of honoring widows all over the world and kind of recognizing that this is a humanitarian crisis that is going on. This is something that is inhibiting the development and the advancement of women's rights and women's empowerment all around the world. Um, and so the UN has kind of recognized that. And that's think part of another thought of how do we get resources and how do we help these people that are in this position where they, they don't really have resources, they don't really have help, they don't have community or people that are willing to help them kind of continue to live after, after they've lost their spouse. So you can also connect that very much so to how women are kind of disproportionately at risk of a lot of different humanitarian issues. Um, you think about it with immigration in this country. I just finished this very, very fascinating book that uh, details the journey of this one woman who was brought here as a kid uh, illegally in like the early 80s and then deported to Mexico and then came back. And it's just this, there's so many consequences and things that happen simply because you're a woman that just make life a little bit harder. Um, and if you're in a culture and in a place where, you know, you're kind of ostracized, once you lose the man that is in your life, it just, it's just mind boggling to me. It just makes me so sad, but also so riled up to try to change this, this thought process and this thought pattern that we're seeing in, in a lot of the world, even in this country, you know. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think to, to further your point about how women are marginalized in many ways more because they're women. If you think about like, what year did you say that International Widows Day was created? Oh, I think it was 2011. Right, yeah, 2011. Yeah. That's only 11 years ago. Yeah. Like yeah. widows, the, the, like from the Bosnian war that happened in the 1990s, mm -hmm. right? So like, this is not a new issue. But yet only yeah. for 11 years has the international community been recognizing it. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's just, I think, to kind of make people think about how this issue like affects people around the world. It's like it's furthering the, the belief that when, if you're a woman, you only have value if you are married, if you're fertile, if you are able of producing a family and raising a family. And that is your purpose. That is what you were here for. And then once your husband dies, all of that is kind of taken away from you. All of a sudden you're, you're nothing. That is just so just damaging to, 
to mental health, to the development of kind of what a woman would think of herself in these these societies. It's like, oh, it's my only purpose just to, to be a mother. And then once my husband dies, I'm no longer a mother. That, that just doesn't, because your children are taken away and raised by somebody else, like that just doesn't make sense to me. It, yeah, it's just really sad. So just to bring that awareness to people to be like, this is a real issue um, that runs deeper than just just the individual stories of someone losing a spouse and being kind of ostracized. It's, it's the deeper kind of cultural sexism that runs throughout the world that needs to change. Yeah. I think that's, that's an excellent way of putting it. Like whenever I think about, you know, like asking, asking you, you know, why is this issue important to you? Or why do you think other people should, should think about why this is an important issue? Um, like, so if I were to say or ask you, do you think that this is maybe, do you think discrimination against widows perhaps happens everywhere, including here? I'm sure, yes. Yes, I mean, I even, I have uh, a couple friends who have mothers who have lost their husbands, and there's always this kind of interesting, like, oh, when are you going to find a new man? When are you going to remarry? When are you going to regain your like put yourself out there and like be desired again by a different man and it's like you don't you don't need that like it's just it's putting like their worth in whether they're married or not so this it definitely is something that happens here and even if you have a wonderful support system it still is like there's always going to be that little cultural button people keep pushing of when are you going to remarry when are you going to find someone new when are you going to have a man again you know so it's it, yeah, that never really goes away. Right. It's almost as if that societies and cultures are are tying a woman's identity to the identity of a man. Right. Right. I mean, in India, with the whole hair sharing thing, it's that is your womanly appeal is your hair. And once your husband dies, oh, you're not you're not appealing anymore. You're not beautiful anymore. You have to shave your hair off. Like. Yeah, yeah that's mind boggling to me. Mind boggling. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you know, so you said like this article came out in 2017 and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, five years really isn't much time when you're talking about cultural change around the world, but just maybe how do you feel about this? But, you know, where do you think this issue is going moving forward? Do you feel like progress is going to be made? I think so. Yeah, I think the the step of, even though it was, like you said, 11 years ago, the step of the UN uh, announcing the Widow's Day and kind of recognizing this is, this, this is an issue, um, that's definitely important. And then there are those nonprofit organizations that are, that are going in and trying to change things and slowly kind of unravel this cultural fabric to, to create a new picture out of it. Um, so I do see it going in a more empowering direction for women in these countries specifically and also kind of worldwide just the awareness that is being brought to this I think is a a big step in bringing awareness to that this is a problem and then how do we fix the problem so yeah I see it going in a in a a direction of change in a direction of progress that that's my hope Um, and that's also kind of where I see the trajectory heading towards well then, let me let me let me ask you one one final thing for the show. Um, 
what words would you leave people with about this issue? Um, go ahead and go. Okay. Um, so for last words, um, I think I would like to just kind of challenge everyone to think a little bit outside of their own their own sphere of experience and their own box and to just be aware of, of what is happening in the world around you and the issues that we may not think are issues to to think critically about them and to just kind of unpack them a little bit more than than you might on your daily kind of scroll through the news um, just to to be aware of how the treatment of of widows and of people who have lost spouses to have empathy for that and to have just an understanding of why this issue is important and why women empowerment and women's rights are important on a global and on a local scale. So, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Um, like I said, I will share that link of the National Group Geographic story with uh, Dr. Pickering so we can kind of Yes, definitely send it in. I'll, yeah. I'll attach it everywhere um, that we post this up. Awesome. I mean, truly, thank you, Leila Bella, for coming on yeah. and talking about this thank issue, you. because it's it's even a different part of advocating for women's rights than that's normally focused on. And again, thank you so much, Leila Bella, for coming on. And please do come back soon. I would love to. And that's a brief snapshot of what's going on in the world today. Do you have questions for Leila Bella? Right in, send them on in. She'd be happy to hear from all of you. And always remember that Lo-Fi Poly Sci is more than just me. It's the we that we be. Bella Bella and Pickering, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>